There are only two major political parties in the United States. Both of them have platforms that contain good things and bad things. Both support some issues that are righteous and some issues that are unrighteous. And I would say for the most part, both parties claim to have God on their side. And while some of you might be certain you know which one is right, I submit to you that both are very wrong. For years now, I have had to go candidate by candidate, issue by issue, looking for lesser known alternatives, finding fewer and fewer good choices or any choice at all. And a number of politicians have tried to win me over saying, I'm a Christian, therefore you should get your whole church to vote for me. Is that how it works? If a politician is a person of faith, is God automatically on their side, backing them? I would say, most people want God on their side. Many times when we succeed, when we win, might even say, well, that's because He is on our side. So did the Nationals win the World Series because they had more Christians on their team than the Astros did? Is that how that works? Who does God help in the Olympics? The country with the most people in church? When it comes to war, does God automatically side with one country over another? When it comes to an argument with your spouse, whose side is God on? Men, don't guess at that one. <laughs> We're in a series in the book of Judges called Broken. And today, in chapter 18, we see some people trying to guarantee that God is on their side. And what's broken here is religion. Broken religion. Uh, an attempt to manipulate God, to get Him on my side, to do what I want. And that's a mistake we can all make. In this story, I want to point out to you three signs of broken religion. We're going to go through this story. I want to see these signs of broken religion and how that impacts our lives today. This attempt to get God on our side. So last week in Judges chapter 17, we met a guy named Micah uh, who worked very hard to get God on his side. Uh, Micah did that by setting up a shrine in his own house in disobedience to what God had said, he put in some religious objects, also disobedience to God, and hired his own personal priest, also disobedience to God. And the chapter concluded last week with Micah saying, now God will bless me. Now God will prosper me. So Micah thought he had God's guaranteed blessing, and he was wrong. Now Micah's going to show up again in this chapter, chapter 18, but first we need to meet some other folks. It begins in uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. 
So here we have a tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, looking for a place to live, to call their own. And the fact is, God had already given them a portion of the promised land. He had allotted them a portion. But they were unable to take it. They were unwilling to pay the price to take it. They rejected God's assignment, and instead they went looking for something better and easier. And they chose not to obey God's clear instruction. So they're disobedient as a tribe and lack faith. God's word is clear, they just don't like what it says. Polyamory, perhaps you've heard that word, it's a growing trend in the United States. Uh, What that is, is having sexual relationships, consensual sexual relationships with multiple people at the same time. Uh, That's another common word is thruple. That means here's a married couple who has taken another person into their relationship. There's a committed three-person relationship. Polyamory is is that and more. About 20% of American adults have tried poly relationships. Open relationships. And and that number is growing, and also it's growing among those who claim to follow Jesus. And the younger you are, the more likely you are to consider an open relationship morally acceptable. Now, God's Word is clear on this point, that that is not how believers are to live. Now, the world lives like the world. They live however they want. You can expect that of the world. Don't look down on the world for living like the world. But the Bible is very clear about how those who follow Jesus should live. A couple of years ago, I was preaching here uh, about biblical sexuality. And uh, a young man out in the commons told my wife that this whole idea that I was talking about was ridiculous and unrealistic. So this thing about sexual morality, it's ridiculous, unrealistic. That, that is our culture so much. And, and so we have clear truth, but don't like what it says. For polyamory to be a growing trend among Christians, we have clear truth. We don't like what it says. So we do what, that was the tribe of Dan in this relationship. They didn't want what God had given to them. So verse 2, the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe to spy out the land and to explore it. So here they send out a search party looking for a place that's good and easy to conquer. And they start traveling north. And along the way, on their journey, they pass by Micah's house, the guy we met last week. Micah lives in the hill country of Ephraim. And they're passing by the house. Micah's not around, but these five scouts hear the voice of the priest that Micah hired. And they recognize the sound of a Levite leading religious ritual. And this grabs their attention. Now, according to God's own command in Deuteronomy chapter 12, worship services were only to be conducted in that day in Shiloh, which was 10 miles away, by a proper priest. And here they're, they're hearing a priest say religious ritual far from there, and so they stop to ask questions. And in verse 4, they, they asked, who brought you here? They asked this priest, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? And the Levite says, well, I've been hired by Micah to be his personal priest. Now, instead of saying, you know, this is against God's law, or instead of saying, hey, show us your credentials, notice what these scouts want, verse 5. And they said to him, inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we're setting out will succeed. These scouts want God's blessing on a plan they've already made. They are, 
just think about that for a moment. They ignored what God already told them to do and looked for God's help on what they wanted to do. Sign number one of broken religion, asking God to bless what you've already decided to do. Religion is broken. You're asking God to bless what you've already decided to do. So a guy I got to know years ago, Vince, was a great guy. Uh, One of the first few times we met, he wanted me to pray for his business, which he was struggling. So I wanted to know about this business. It it seemed that that Vince had got this idea in his head, and he uh, sunk all his family's money into starting this business, and uh, he quit his day job, and he was investing all his time. He was working at least 14 hours a day, seven days a week. He was doing as absolutely much as he could to make this thing succeed, and it was failing. And and so uh, he wanted me to pray and ask for God's blessing on this. I said, well, uh, Vince, do you know, is this what God wanted you to do? He said, well, I didn't really ask. It just seemed like a good idea. And I said, well, show me your business plan. Maybe I, he said, business plan? He, he hadn't even done the, the human side of it, let alone the divine side. And as a follower of Jesus, which he grew in his faith after, that, after his business failed and, and he, he got his old job back, to grow in faith and understand that he had, he had done something and then asked God's blessing the opposite way. Or I think of Lisa, who, who was part of a church and expressed faith in Christ. She went through the church youth group. She went off to college, and then she started dating a guy in college. who He was a solid citizen, but he was not a follower of Jesus. And those close to Lisa were concerned about her, and they, her close friends expressed to her, hey, what's going on? And she felt judged by them. Uh, and eventually she and this guy got engaged, and she demanded a, a church wedding so that they could have God's blessing, even though the Bible clearly says that a Christian should not be joined together with an unbeliever. So she makes a decision, and then she wants God's blessing. And I think there are all kinds of ways that, that we ask for God's help to do what we want to do. That's what the Danites did. Verse 6, And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Now notice it doesn't say this priest prayed or studied Scripture or made a sacrifice or did anything to consult God. He just pronounced blessing. He had no right, no ability to do that. He was not a legitimate priest at least in terms of his obedience to God. And so instead of serving as God required, this guy was like a free agent. He hired himself out and got involved in idol worship. But these five scouts, they're thrilled with this. They love his words, and so they continue their search for a new land for their tribe, and they find a great place 100 miles north called Laish. It's good land, and the people there, they don't have any powerful uh, friends. There's not strong enemies nearby, so the scouts love this. The five scouts rush home, and they make this report to the tribe of Dan, verse 9. Don't be slow to go, to enter and possess land. As soon as you go, you'll come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands. A place where there's no lack of anything that is in the earth. Do you notice something there? They claim God gave them the land. And he didn't. Now let me caution you about a couple of things as we continue. Don't mistake opportunity for God's leading. Don't mistake opportunity for God's leading. The Danites found a great land and assumed that meant God provided it. But they shouldn't have been looking in the first place. They rejected the land God gave them, and now they assume because things look good over here that God's on their side. But if what you want violates God's word, it can never be his will. 
no matter how perfect it seems. The other caution is to don't mistake someone speaking for God as God speaking. I don't care who they are. The Danites consulted a priest who gave them God's blessing, but it wasn't the blessing of God. Lots of people are very quick to say, God wants you to do this or that, or God told me to say this to you. I hear pastors start sentences all the time with words, God told me to tell you, which usually means what comes next is heresy. Not likely what God said to say. A few years ago, a complete stranger from a neighboring church I knew, he's just a guy who went to church there, but he said God had told him that he was supposed to be the preacher at all five services on a specific weekend. I said, well, that's funny. God didn't tell me that. Have God send a few references along, will you? I had a man and a wife make an appointment to sit down with me some years ago to tell me that God had told them that I was supposed to invest in their business that they were starting. Again, God said nothing to me about it. Never confuse someone speaking for God with God speaking. Now, because these, uh, these people were blessed by a priest and had a great opportunity, they believed God was on their side. And so they put together an army of 600 warriors and they marched to battle. And on the way, they passed by Micah's house again. It's on the way, as I'll show you in a bit. And one of these guys remembers, hey, when we went by here before, this house has a shrine with sacred objects and silver idols. Let's go get them. Verse 18. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the other household gods, and the cast idol, the priest said to them, what are you doing? Now, why would they want this stuff? It was a way to have God on their side. Um, they had a plan, they had the blessing of a holy man, and all this religious stuff would cinch the deal. But the priest, he tries to stop them. They're stealing, and the warriors tell him to be quiet, and they say, listen, how about a job? Instead of just working for one guy, you could work for the whole tribe. You could be our priest of a whole tribe instead of this one guy. Verse 20. Then the priest was glad. He took the ephod, the other household gods, and the carved image and went along with the people. So the priest was seduced by better pay and a bigger position. This is a guy who will provide whatever religious service was wanted for the right price. He's in it for the money, the position. He doesn't really represent God. A real servant of God is not for sale. This priest was representing the highest bidder, and this time it was the Danites. So now the Danites have their own priest and armfuls of religious paraphernalia. Uh, second sign of broken religion. Trusting in sacred stuff or pious people. Trusting in sacred stuff or pious people. Now, in the shaping of early America, I like to read some history books, and this is one I, I came across. This, there was deadly warfare between the pilgrims and the Native Americans, and one battle was notable by the lack of casualties. Uh, and it happened in March 1676. A group of 1,500 attacked the village of Rehoboth. And while 40 houses and, and 30 barns went up in flames, only one person was killed. And the reason this stood out to me is because this was a man who believed that as long as he continued reading the Bible, no harm would come to him. And he was found shot to death in his chair, the Bible still in his hands. Is there any sacred stuff that you look to for protection? 
or good luck? Is it a cross on the wall or a cross on a chain around your neck or dangling from your rearview mirror? Is it prayer beads? Is it holy water? Is it a tattoo of a Bible verse? Sacred stuff, whatever it is. Or pious people. Now, I've worked with quite a few high-profile pastors and Christian leaders through the years. And there are four that I spent time with who have failed catastrophically and famously in the last few years. And for three of those four men, I saw it coming. I, I, 15 years ago, I saw it coming in my interactions with them. And the issues that brought them down, the, the four that I'm thinking of, it, 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 power, money, fame, success. And they got away with it so long. I mean, for, for some of those that I knew 15 years ago, they got away with it for so many years after that, a decade or so. Why? Because they were successful Christian celebrities. And their elders or their board of their organization did not dare hold them accountable. Did not dare. Or they refused to believe that that celebrity could do any wrong. Or they excused the fact that their leader was an angry jerk or was making very bad choices because he was doing God's work, so it's okay. Or they thought that the ministry or the church or the organization could not survive without their superstar. And so they let them run amok. And I would honestly tell you that there are a number of high-profile Christian leaders I could name right now that even though I don't know them personally, they're in the same boat. Their organization or their church has placed too much trust in them with too little accountability, and that is a sign of broken religion. So uh, when Micah comes home and finds out he's been ripped off, he grabs some of his men, he takes out after the Danite army, and he catches up to them, and they say, what's your problem? And verse 24, Micah replied, you took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? Now notice how superstitious Micah is. He made these gods himself. He ordained this priest himself, but he feels like if he loses them, he loses everything. Because his gods were captured, all hope is gone. That's broken religion. That's how you know you're worshiping a God substitute. If you lose something and it feels like everything. If you lose someone and it feels like everything. For instance, when the market crashes or house values plummet or your investment goes under and all hope is lost, money is a God substitute for you. If a loved one rejects you or cheats on you or dies and leaves you alone and all hope is lost, your loved one is a God substitute. And you can make a substitute God out of just about anything. Sports, career, entertainment, family, politics, safety, whatever it is. Here's the reality. If you are in Christ, nothing can be taken from you or done to you that will separate you from God's love. Nothing. That's Bible. You can take that to the bank. The sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the, the dead is the bedrock of life. And when your trust is in the Savior who died for you and rose again, then nothing is going to change that. 
Put your trust in Christ and it will sustain you when difficulty, trouble, disaster strikes. If your trust is in something or someone else, then when that person fails, falls, leaves, dies, it will destroy you. But in Christ, your blessing isn't located in a thing, in a church, a person, a flag, a house, a business, a bank account, or a way of life. It's centered in God himself who holds you in his hand. I love what Warren Wearsby said. Idolaters worship gods they can carry, but Christians worship a God who carries them. That's the difference. And no one who knows Jesus needs to end up like Micah. He's distraught over the loss of what he made. And the Danites answer, don't argue with us or some hot-tempered men will attack you and you and your family will lose their lives. I don't suppose that's anybody's life verse, but it's a pretty cool verse. Go away or we'll give you something to cry about. So Micah runs home with his tail between his legs and please do not feel sorry for him because remember he started this whole mess by stealing from his mom. And then disobeying several of God's very clear commands. Didn't work out all that well. Verse 27, And then they took what Micah had made and his priest, and went on to Laish against the peaceful and unsuspecting people. They attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. So here we've got a bunch of people who have done no wrong. They didn't deserve this brutality. But the Danites annihilated them, and even worse, they did so in the name of God. Now, just to show you on a map where this is, the, the bottom circle is the land where the Danites came from, that area that God had given to them. The, the middle circle is where Micah lived, the hill country of Ephraim, where they stopped twice along the way. And way up at the top, 100 miles away, outside the, the borders of the, of the land of Israel, that's where the, the people of Laish were. Those are the people they destroyed, and that became the, the country of Dan, the, 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 the tribe of Dan. Because they... The land allotted them by God, they found too difficult to take. Uh, Joshua 19.47 tells us that. And so they went after something easier. And it seemed to work for, in the short term. But by the way, just to give you a snapshot of history going forward, their remote location separated them from Israel and only led them further into idolatry and disobedience from God. In the short term, it seems to work. And so, verse 29 30, they named the city Dan after their ancestor who was born to Israel. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity. All right, a couple things to unpack there, but let me give you the third sign. The third sign of broken religion is resting in your spiritual heritage. See, it's not until the end of the story that we learn the name of this priest that we've been reading about for two chapters, this priest for hire. His name is Jonathan, and now we learn it's revealed that he's a descendant of Moses. He's Moses' grandson, the great leader of Israel. This guy's connected to him. That's an incredible pedigree. But it didn't prevent Jonathan from broken religion. Spiritual heritage guarantees nothing. And they're so proud of the fact that, that Dan is a son of Israel. Spiritual heritage guarantees nothing. They have their own priest who's not simply a Levite, but a descendant of Moses himself, and it means nothing. Everyone must choose to follow God for themselves. Everyone. I, uh, 
my previous church, the elders were trying to do a better job of shepherding our people, our members and adherents, and we realized that we probably had some people that we were trying to shepherd who weren't really part of the church anymore. So we, we found this list of almost 7,000 people who were members and adherents. And so we, we went through that list and, and worked through it, and we, we ended up with 5,300 people that were still part of the, the church that we needed to shepherd. But that left us with a bunch of members who were members in name only, but hadn't showed up at the church and or had any record of their participation in at least a year. So it was my job to write a nice letter to all of them. And, and so, and I think it was a very nice letter, and I just said, hey, uh, you, you joined the church in this year, and, and then we have not, uh, uh, no record of your participation or involvement in, in quite some time, and, and if, if this is your church home, then, then we need you to be involved, and if you've moved away or you haven't shared with us, you're part of another church, please let us know that, whatever. I got some really sweet letters back. Um, but one of them was a, a guy who called me, and, and he said, I haven't been to that church in years, and I'm not coming back, but my family has been in that church for three generations. I'm a member for life. No, you're not. <laughs> he's relying on his spiritual heritage and that's what Dan did they worship God in name only not in truth their broken religion continues on until God takes them out of the land into captivity and, and meanwhile verse 31 so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh remember Shiloh's where God says you need to worship they have their own worship center there false religion they continue to worship and use these homemade idols and they abandon the real place of worship for a God substitute that gave them what they wanted. And that's the gods we're tempted by today. Ones that make our lives successful without being too demanding. Our God can become whatever works for us. That's the God of the American dream. Whatever works for us. That's idolatry. How can you identify idols in your life? Here's just five ways to do it. If it causes you to disobey God, it's an idol. If, you, if it's what you fear losing the most, it's probably an idol. If it's something you daydream and talk about the most, probably an idol. If it's what you love to spend money on, probably an idol. If it brings you greater joy than Jesus, it's probably an idol. Now, I've lived in some pretty snowy parts of the world and Pennsylvania was not by any means close to the worst, but we had a couple of bad storms, and one of them, um, I, I opened the back door to let out the miniature schnauzer that my wife and daughter love so much, and there were three feet of snow piled up against the back door, and the miniature schnauzer said, I'm not going out there, so um, let's you do something about that. Now, I'd already shoveled the driveway three or four times that night. I was exhausted, but, you know, my girls loved that dog. So I started shoveling. I shoveled a path to the very nearest tree that I could find. It's a very narrow path. And I said, there you go. Now, he might have preferred a fence post somewhere else or a tree farther away, but I don't care how many tricks he did. I don't care how cute my wife and daughter think he is. He's going there, or he's on his own. Are there times in life you say, God, I know you want me on this path, but I want to go another way. God, you've charted a course 
But this way is easier. This way is nicer. This way makes better sense to me. And you start bargaining to move God to help you achieve what you want. That's broken religion. So let me encourage you to drop all attempts to manipulate God into doing what you want and be eager to do what He wants. Our land is filled with broken religion. Some of them name in the name of Jesus. But it's an attempt to manipulate God. And He can't be manipulated. See, the real question is not how can I get God on my side. The real question is, am I willing to join God's side? Whatever that looks like. A good prayer to start your morning with is, God, what are you doing today that I can join you in? What are you calling me to do? See, the God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, can't be bribed or controlled. But to those who belong to Jesus, to those who follow after them, to those who have put their hope and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and His resurrection from the grave, there is a promise. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So affirm your faith today. Not in a God you can carry, but in the God who carries you. Lord, now we have the privilege of celebrating you around this table. May that be the reminder that we need to live for you in this day. To follow after you to seek you first. In Jesus' name, amen.